Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. It's Friday morning. It's good morning. Hope it's going well for you. This is Life the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howell on vacation this week and next week. And then the, the following week is when I head out on vacation. It is kind of that time of year. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of things we've got uh, coming up shortly. It's going to be a little bit of a, a survey on the Specs text line because this is Father's Day weekend coming up, and I'll get to the question in a moment. Uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, our longtime friend and baseball insider, Gene Watson, himself a man of the game of over 40 years, will uh, join us to uh, give us uh, our weekly Major League Baseball updates. So we'll get to that coming up. However, and we'll have, obviously, our, our usual features of our Longhorn Notebook. We'll have our Flex 30 updates. Jeff Howell's on vacation, but our producer, Cameron Parker, is here. How are you doing this morning, Cam? I'm doing great, Craig. Um, I'm absolutely outraged by the U.S. Open setup. No. Um, are you really? No. <laughs> I enjoyed watching golf from... Did you like watching some primetime golf? I did. It was great. Ten, all the way to 10 p.m. It was a blast. <laughs> Roger Wallace, of course, our good friend and broadcast colleague, sports director at KXN, said that he was getting some heat from his wife about about the Thursday night lineup being preempted for golf. He was like, that's a network decision. That's not mine. <laughs> and I said, you do realize because you work at a local affiliate of NBC, you're going to get the blame for that. He goes, oh, yeah, I knew that. So there it was. Uh, I asked, and and he graciously agreed to do this, I asked Bucky Gobble to hang around just for, for a few minutes here because I was listening uh, to you uh, talk about a lot of the past, but – you know, you had you had Isaiah Collier in here, so you had Zay, and then of course you had Ty Henderson in the in the other room, and 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 uh, so I heard them, you know, gathering around and listening to your stories. It was almost kind of like, tell us another story, Uncle Bucky. Oh yeah, about Uncle Bucky, your you past. Story. <laughs> there was all of these all of these stories of the places and the things you've done in your past and all of that. And we're not that far apart, really. You're a few years older than me, but not many. And and. Uh, and uh, and both of us have the commonality of having lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. That Absolutely, was, I, I lived there till I was eighteen. You lived there until you what about ten, eleven? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sixth grade. Took yeah, off. yeah, and so uh, so we've always had that commonality there. Uh, but but there was something else. There's another commonality. There was uh, there was a time 
when you were on the University of Texas football coaching staff, on John Makovic's staff, and of course it was in the early days of my being in the booth. I was the studio anchor from 88 to 91, and then your first year with Coach Makovic's first year on staff, 92, was my first year in the booth as analyst working with Bill Shoney. And I heard you tell him the story yesterday, and it got me to thinking about this, and it kind of came back up again every now and then. Every now and then it pops up the story of October 16, 1994. He knows the date. He got it down. Black Sunday. Oh, that Rice day. Stadium, yeah. Houston. Sunday night game, ESPN National Audience, Texas against Rice. It remains so infamously etched in the minds of many Longhorn fans because it's the last time Texas lost to Rice on the football field. Now, there have been a couple of close calls, by the way, since – the 97 year when Texas, uh, John's last year as coach, you were already out of the, out of the, off the staff and out of that business yeah, by then. Yeah, I was then. the one rat that jumped that ship. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Ricky Williams to the rescue. They won that one like 23-21. That was a close ball game. And they've had a couple other close ones when Mac Brown was good. 18-13. There was an 18-13 game one year early in the season. Craig, I think like there was that. a year where we also lost, when I was here, we lost to TCU at TCU. That was horrifying, too. It, yeah, yeah. I think it was 23-14, something yeah. like that. That was the one, that was the game where my brother, in those days, when we didn't have uh, the parabolic mic operator, uh, we would have what, what was called the locker room liaison. And we would pick up somebody on the road or whatever, and what that person's responsibility was, was to hand the headset to Coach Makovic when he came, when he would come over to do right. the post game interview with us, well, in that particular case, because it was in Fort Worth, my brother, who lives in Fort Worth, my brother uh, w- was the locker room liaison. So he was the locker room liaison for that game, and uh, we had him do it. and And my brother says he was permanently scarred by this because uh, not only you know did Texas lose to TCU that night, he said. But I'm standing in the locker room waiting for Coach Makovic to come over, and I've got the headset ready, and here he comes. Start raving Buck Creek naked. That he was, just walked out of the look. shower naked, and he's handing Coach Makovic the headset going, here, Coach, here you go, and just kind of hands him and kind of turns his head. And Makovic puts on the headset there without a stitch of clothing. Of course, we can't see him. We're up in the booth, oh and we goodness. didn't even know this. He, my brother told me after, he goes, yeah, the man walks up, and he's completely naked. <laughs> he gets a Gosh. So, yes, that season happened. It was, I, I say to this day, that that was the most bizarre season of Texas Longhorn football in all the years that I've been associated with. I, would, I mean, I, I know when we talk about Rice, but that was one of the hardest losses I've ever been around the as a coach, the TCU loss. Yeah. Well, the, the team went 7-4 and four in the regular season, five-way share of the conference title because Texas A&M was ineligible uh, that and and, uh, and and that was that was the game. Remember, they played the Aggies on Thanksgiving night at home, and during the week, during the week, at the news conference, yep. John McAvoy was asked, are you going to kick off to Leland McElroy? And he goes, no, oh, we're not kicking off to Leland McElroy. Do kicked off to Leland McElroy, oh, and he brought it back gosh. for a touchdown. That happened that year. Uh, so, but, but there was a five-way tie since A&M was ineligible, the five teams, Texas, uh, Texas Tech, Baylor, Rice, and TCU. Five-way tie for the yep. conference title. Texas Tech got to go to the Cotton Bowl because it had been the longest drought 
for them over any of the other schools. They went to the Cop Bowl and they got destroyed by Keyshawn uh, Johnson and USC. I think it was like 55 to 16. They got beat really badly in that Cotton Bowl. But Texas uh, winds up going to the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Loved it. Priest Holmes. Uh, had that had that massive day that afternoon, and uh, and the Longhorns win it, uh, coming from behind to win that one thirty five thirty one after trailing thirty one twenty one in the fourth quarter. Was that to Carolina? That was against Mac Brown's North Carolina team. That's the day, the morning, the morning I told Priest Holmes he was going to be the MVP of that game. Yeah, and he was, and he was getting the ball over and over again. That was the the infamous Priest Holmes tapping his helmet. To me, and me turn around and looking in the stands and turning my back to him. <laughs> he wants to and, come out of the game the player, and catch yeah, a blow. Player, players on the sideline are going, hey, he's trying to come out. I'm like, You're so mean. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, no, no, get he's in doing there. just fine. He has four <laughs> touchdowns. He's running just fine. He'll, he'll catch his breath. Some folks have seen that iconic photo. I'll always remember it. It was in the Texas football office for a long time. I don't know if it still is around or whatever. Of, P, uh, of Priest Holmes hurtling over the top at the goal line to score – uh, what proved to be the winning touchdown. He's hurtling over the top. On the bottom there on the field, you see John Elmore, the offensive lineman, yep. uh, looking up. He's diving over the top, and in the background, you see the Davis Mountains of El Paso. It's a, it's a very iconic shot of Priest diving over the top to score. I call that still, to this day, the best bowl trip that I've ever taken. I, I mean, the Sun Bowl people were the absolute best fabulous hospitality it was unbelievable i mean there wasn't a lot to do my family had gone because i had gone with the university of illinois just before that yeah to the to the sun bowl yeah and was and the, and the whole same group was there i mean they did everything my family went to rio doso went i had skiing at that yeah. time i was like what went skiing and it was it was they do they did a good job yeah, it they was. did. Now, th- when it came to things like for the media management, it wasn't the best. We no. had a hell of a time getting our credentials and our parking, but they could tell you where a great party was that go. night. So you had you had that going on. And you're right, my brothers did the same thing. I had three brothers that went that went uh, snow skiing up there during that time. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you remember this, right before that, a few days before, the Longhorn basketball team was playing in the tournament out there That's in right. El Paso, and they won that tournament a- out there. So it was a bizarre year. It was a year that featured uh, a freshman, Phil Dawson, beating Pittsburgh on a field goal in his first kick, mm-hmm. remember, the first game of the year. Uh, there was that. Uh, there was, like I said, the losses. There was the win over Oklahoma, the Stony Clark tackle. And James Brown gets the start in that and leads them to victory. And Texas wins the ball game 17-10. and So, again, Coach McAvick on the headset with us in the locker room in the Cotton Bowl. I don't know what his – level of dress was that day but he was he was on the he was on the headphones with us and the post game locker room uh interview and uh and and Bill Shoning asks him is James Brown going to be your starter for next week at Rice and coach McAvick's response was I don't know Bill I haven't thought about that yet and Bill Shoning says to him well, you better think about it. you got a whole bunch of media waiting to ask you about it in the other room. And then there's silence on the other end. And Bill looks at me and he goes, thanks, coach, and you're clunk. He just took the headset off and dropped it down there. Wow. We get to the break, Bill looks at me and he goes, wow, what did I say? I was like, dude. <laughs> it just, so then he goes in and, yeah, and there was all that. So who's going to start? So Shea Moran starts. Yes. What was the week like leading up to, the, to that Rice game? It was like pulling teeth. Because really you just was. come off mountaintop experience, yeah. beating OU. Now you're going to Rice to play a Sunday night game. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the team, I I just, besides the game itself, I mean, that, 
I mean, the euphoria of beating Oklahoma then and then having James play such a game. And then during the week, Shea was starting to take all the – he was taking the snaps like with the first team. I'm like, what's going on? So I'm if I'm wondering that, you know what the players are thinking. What's about to happen? Why here? is Shea Morenz taking the, the first team snaps? Yeah, well, he started in that ball game, and it was – I mean, mm-hmm. I thought there was truly – Guys were were not going to play in that game. I thought I've never been that close to a football team that was going to quit. I mean, actually quit and go. Yeah, and go home. Well, to to give folks an idea, and by the way, somebody correct me. I'm glad they did. It was the Franklin Mountains out there in El Paso. Thank you uh, for. I said Davis Mountains. Those are a little bit different area. Uh, so yeah, I, I got it. Franklin Franklin Mountains. Uh, thanks. Uh, the um, so uh, that weekend it started on Saturday. Torrential rains. Oh, I started calling my friends from all over the country that we were going to be on TV. Yeah. Sunday night football on ESPN. <laughs> don't miss it. You don't want to miss it. It's pouring rain, torrential rains. That day, which the day before, October 15, 1994, my current wonderful wife, Linda, and I chuckle about this. That was the day she got married, her first marriage. She got married that day in Nacogdoches. My late wife, Laurie, and I went to her wedding, to her, and, and we went that day, but it's pouring rain. And I'm thinking in my mind. You've got to get going. Yeah, because the next day yes. is going to be Sunday night. Well, the wedding was on Saturday, and we were staying, I think, at the Holiday Inn in Nacogdoches that night, pouring rain. And I said to Laurie, I said, if this in the forecast is going to be bad. And I said, if it's just like this tomorrow, it's going to be a problem at Rice. And But, but I didn't think, you know, problem enough to lose the game. No. Go down there. You could tell they weren't into it. They get down early, uh, come back. They actually had a seventeen to twelve lead. And how we ever did that, I don't know. And and then Rice scores, and they win nineteen seventeen. Pouring torrential rain, just miserable. And uh, Bill Shoning at the time was doing his local uh, post game drop in segment with our, our good friend in town, Ed Clements, who was on on the station on the other station was carrying it. And and that night uh, was a, and you'll remember this, Bucky, the guy who had the massive game defensively for the Owls was in Duque Kalu. Absolutely. We knew him better later as N.D. Kalu, played for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, when the San Antonio Holmes was outstanding. And, and N.D., by the way, was a later was a broadcast partner of mine on some of the high school state championship games. Uh, great guy. A One lot man of wrecking crew that dude was. Yeah. So Ed Clements asks Bill Shunning on the air on the post game. Uh, I wasn't on because I was still working out of Dallas and commuting for the games. But he asks, he asked Shoning, hey, what was the name of the guy that was making all the tackles? What was the name of the guy? And Shoning's like, uh, who are you talking about? And Bill said, I knew who he meant. I wanted him to pronounce his name. <laughs> he goes, you know the guy? You know the guy? The African, Kunta Kinte. Oh, yeah. And Shoning goes, what? And he goes, the African guy. He goes, his name is Nduque Kalu, and he's from San Antonio, Okay. <laughs> I told Indy that story years later, and I almost had to pick him up the floor off the floor. He was laughing so hard he couldn't stop laughing at it. Uh, and what and, a miserable night that and was. And he had a he had an amazing night. He had something like fifteen tackles or something. He had a tremendous night and two or three sacks. And that's right. That's the game that I learned. One guy should not be able to wreck your entire game plan. And, and he, he did. did. And he did. He, he was a one man wrecking crew. He wrecked the game plan. <laughs> so, you should never let that happen. <laughs> So what was the the, oh, the what, locker room? What, what, was the yeah. halftime, the halftime scene was just I, that. Truly, I thought guys were taking off stuff not because it was wet, 
Like they were done. They, like they were getting done to put on their regular clothes and wait in the locker room until the game was over and then get on the bus and go home and never to play again. <laughs> I mean, that was the feeling. I mean, I was, I was trying to get guys up. Let's go. We got to, you know, we're not, we're not totally down here, guys. Let's go. But they didn't, they had, it wasn't that they, they didn't have any energy in their bodies. The whole week had been just draining, just totally draining from the OU game until the fact that James wasn't the starter again. And guys just could feel this this sense of quit. Yeah. Truly right. quit. I mean, right. never been around a group that was ready to absolutely quit. And and they thought it was for all the right reasons. And I, as a coach, had to go, let's go, guys. I mean, this is the University of Texas. We have to go. We have to go play. You don't get to take your take that uniform off, put on your street clothes, and then sit around and watch. It was awful. It was one of my, my worst coaching experience. It but was I, I the think, worst. but I think it was followed by one of the probably the best coaching jobs of you and Coach McEwing and the staff to get those guys to pick themselves up off the floor, finish out the season. The other was the yep. loss to A and M, but you, uh, you you played well for the most part afterwards. Got a share of the conference title. Went on and and uh, and then the the other you'll, you'll remember this the other critical game that season late in the year. Because A and M was on probation, they couldn't play him on Thanksgiving. They didn't play him on Thanksgiving. I said Thanksgiving night earlier. It was that they played. You had the Saturday morning Thanksgiving game in Waco against Baylor. I heard you talk about Gerard Douglas oh, earlier, boy. and remember he was a great running back at Converse Judson. Yes, and and selected uh, Baylor. And uh, James Brown had been starting since, but there was still the question mark here or there. Well, he firmly cemented it. He had a massive game. Texas won, I think, something like 63 to 35. Oh, that was, it was crazy. Crazy game on Thanksgiving morning. And and then there was the, the game later against AM afterwards, and it was the loss. But but then uh, the share of the conference title, and then, and then he went on. I'm, I'm telling you, to this day, I think it was the oddest year of Longhorn football. We ended up 8-4, and four, but one, the oddest year. And it, but it, I think it did help set the stage for winning the final Southwest Conference title yep. in 95, going 10-2-1 that year. Well, I mean, it, it set up. I mean, if we, can, if we could have survived what we did then, I thought it was good until John wanted to change everything about Texas. <laughs> yeah. Everything, everything, tradi- everything. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this with the helmet. I'm like, I don't think we need to talk about the helmet. That's one thing. Don't talk about this helmet. I mean, we had all kinds of – that guy had Alienated all, alumni. Oh, no. He like had that. It, was, it was a difficult Once time. Once he had won, he had then thought he could have a takeover. And I'm like, no, you don't take over Texas football. That's – just go with the flow yeah. and enjoy the ride. The other reason I wanted to have you here, uh, there was – I was reading this uh, article uh, called um, Boomer Skills Millennials Just Won't Use. And it made me think about you, and to a lesser extent, made me think about me, too. So they got this list of things, of things that we did back in the day that uh, millennials or, or current people would not do. And I'm, I'm going to enlist Cameron's, uh, uh, his, his vision on this, since he's of the modern era now, as well. Okay, first of all, and, and this applies to both of us, although I'm, I was widowed, but number one is staying married, and it says replaced by common law. So there are different type of uh, marriages on that. So, But both of us have been down that road. Sure. We've been married more than once. Number two is figuring out cable TV uh, replaced by different services. Cam, do, are you, you're a cord cutter, right? You don't, you don't have cable television, do you? YouTube TV. YouTube. 
YouTube. And I do have YouTube now. You also. have YouTube. Okay. See, I'm still old school. I just, I've got, I just got rid of satellite about a year and a half ago. And that was, it's not my doing. That was my wife's doing. It wasn't me. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, you just stuck with cable probably yes. or whatever. Okay. With NFL ticket going to YouTube TV, I mean, how many people are going to stick with satellite at this point? Yeah, I've got to figure that out for myself. I don't need to see myself. all the games. I'm not, I'm not a, I don't watch eight different games. I don't have that. I can't that, to to watch all the ones. No, in one. I can't. Do I don't that. necessarily have to have that. But if I want to see my team play, yeah, the Rams have had been on sure. national TV more of late. But but still, a lot of those West Coast starts, especially if they're up against the Cowboys, you're not going to see that in this market without having it. But that I've whole got to red figure zone out. thing. I don't. I mean, that's yeah. big deal. It's not a big deal. Okay. Man. All right. Uh, here's one: finding a good business suit as replaced by casual wear. Do you have a good business suit? Yeah, yeah. about four or five. Okay. Really, I have, I have, I have a, I have a business suit slash funeral suit that I'd like to be. Yeah. Bear. It's the same one. Okay. Uh, here's one I know you will agree with me on. Balancing a checkbook has been replaced by internet banking. Of course. Did you ever used to balance the checkbook? Had right I there. I still do, Craig. Do you really? I sent my. I we <laughs> talked about it the other day. You know, I send out all my all my bills go out with a stamp on them. You mail everything I mail. out. You don't. You don't electronically pay now, your my, bills. The check will come in to yeah. come in that way, but I don't right. send out. I send out checks by mail on time. It, it's just something I I started doing it in when I got my first job. When I got my lifeguard job, anything that I had a bill for, I just learned how to put it, and so I could do it on time. It just kept me in the flow, and balancing a checkbook just kept me in the flow of things. Okay. I don't think I would. I don't. I don't think I would get it if I electronically. Had people had the bank doing my stuff for me? I, I don't think I would enjoy that. Cam, have you ever balanced a checkbook in your life? I don't think so. I remember when I was a kid, I had the checkbook, yeah. but yeah. also there was like $4 in it, so like I didn't really do anything with it. And by the time I actually was old enough to like actually make money, by then everything was just on the phone. We still have checkbook, and we still have to write certain checks, like the Homeowners Association have to write sure. a check. There's certain things you do still have to write a check for. My taxes, if I, if yeah. I owe the IRS, yeah. it goes out yeah. in a check. Yeah, but we don't, well, now they'll, they'll electronically. I had it done electronically this I, year. Just whoop, I, I pulled it right on there. Nope, I just, Government's happy to get it that way. Yeah, because they'll get it quicker. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Uh, ironing. Do you iron? Uh, my wife irons. Okay. I, I used to iron, yes, until I... Made that mistake at the University mm-hmm. of Illinois one day where I had cut the iron off and it was and there was a spot on a shirt. Oh no! And I thought that thing was. I mean, it had been off enough time, and I and it left that little pointy iron mark uh-huh. on the side of my stomach. Oh yeah, I went I went dumb. I was uh, trying to get to work in a hurry. Uh, that, that replaced basically by dryers and non-crease material. Uh, here's something that I'm guilty as charged and happy to be guilty as charged. Reading a map replaced by satellite navigation and smart phone navigation i just the other day went and bought Rand mcnally's 100th no, anniversary on. edition of the road spiral brown <laughs> the whole bit i bought it so you still have the you the know dictionary you, the do you have dictionaries around the house uh, i think so but i also have dictionary.com on my phone ah. if i need to if i need to look up a word but but the reason why i do it i mean yeah i like it and all that and i grew up around a family my dad by the way and this is going to get me to the one other thing that i'm going to ask you about here uh my dad was a map maker in the army because he was an artist, and so uh, he was a map maker. So I, I got used to maps when I was a kid. But the other reason why I do it is because the GPS technology is great, and I use it, and mm-hmm. I do set it, and I do sure. use it. But it only gives you, like, your list of turns and this, and you have to extrapolate it out if you want to see the whole route. 
the map, the atlas, especially spiral bound, you can turn it over and have it there. You can see for hundreds of miles what your deal is going to be, and you can you have a much more visual uh, of the whole entire journey. Uh, A couple more of these: driving a stick shift. Cam, you ever drive a stick? Never got to learn. See, it's the first thing I learned off of. Yeah, I, my first car was a three-speed on the column Chevy Two Nova. Uh, was was that? Uh, I used to grind that thing to the metal. I wanted yeah. to learn, but by the time I turned sixteen, both my parents stopped driving stick, and it's all you know automatic. And it's like, where am I going to learn to drive stick? Because no one I knew had a stick shift. How many clutches you think would get burned out oh today, Buck, God. by guys trying to learn how to drive a stick? They get up on a hill. Yeah. <laughs> um. And here's something. Now, Cam is going to be the the outlier on this, apparently. Apparently, one of the big things that millennials are not doing in larger number is playing golf. Is it replaced by, it says, livelier sports because of cultural change? But I know you used to love to play golf. See, I think that switched since COVID, though. Because I think before, like when I was in high school, I didn't have a lot of golf buddies. But now I see, I think a lot of people play golf. But it also depends on how much money you make, too, right? Because golf depends on your income because it's such expensive in time-consuming sport. Unless you're like myself and Ed Clemens, yeah. 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 Um, Okay. Uh, And one other thing, um, writing in cursive. We had to do that. We had to do that in school. We had to write in cursive. I still do. I still send out letters that way. I don't do, do you it. really with handwritten? I don't, I don't do the that? email saying this or that or the text messages. I mean, if I have to write a letter, I, I write a full letter out in cursive. I just you know what school. I've, you know what I found is that if you don't continue to do that, that's one of those if you don't use it, you lose it practices. Because if I have to write something extensive mm-hmm. uh, in my own handwriting, it gets sloppy a little bit. And I used to have really good penmanship, so I had to really concentrate to work it. Have you done much uh, writing in cursive? No. Started in school, but like now, no. We're in a keyboard well, my, society. My, my mother was a, a, you know, at Bennett College in, in Greensboro. And she had the most beautiful handwriting, and she uses those those fine point pens where you had yeah. to dip it in the uh, dip it in the in the, in the ink, ink in the inkwell. Yeah, oh, and and she she would just swoop and do all kinds of cool little. She things. could do like calligraphy. It probably. was beautiful. It was her handwriting was beautiful. Mine looks like somebody's doc. <laughs> okay, uh, and then one more thing, uh, and this is going to get to a pet peeve of mine: traditional grammar replaced by casual texting and different habits. Now. I'm okay with somebody asking me if I'm going to go somewhere, and they go R, capital R, and U, capital U, instead of just spelling out R-U, R-U, blah, blah, blah. I'm okay with that. There's some other shortcuts. My number one pet peeve on that is, and this is just a grammatical disaster to me, if, and I've seen it a million times on social media, somebody says, uh, they could have won the game if they didn't, but instead of spelling could have, C-O-U-L-D apostrophe V-E, because could have is the shortened version of could have. Right, correct. But they won't do it. They'll say could of, O-S. No. Could of. Really? That's incorrect grammar. You don't go could of won the game. Could and then O-F. That's wrong. It's, that, it's could of is C-O-U-L-D apostrophe V-E. Short a, for could have. Very much so of the pet peeve I have for since I came to the, you know over 30 years now in the state of Texas when people say, can I get? Yeah, can I get I, some I, of that? No, no how about maybe. may I have? I, I, <laughs> I always thought in my mind, and growing up, it was the grammar was may I have. But people here say, can I get? I think and, I asked you, I said, can I get you to stick around for a segment? <laughs> but, I, but people say, people don't say may I have. They say, yeah. can I get? Can I'm I like, get the? Can I get? What do you mean, can you get? Yeah, you can get anything you want, but yeah. maybe can you, you have, have it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The last thing I want to do, and this was going to be a, a question for the 
Specs text line today. You've you mentioned in the last couple of days about this being Father's Day weekend. Yes, important weekend. And I know you you said you kind of had a complicated relationship with your dad. Very right? much so. I didn't know he was in the Korean War. Uh, I knew my dad served during the Korean War. He tried twice to apply for active combat duty, and they wouldn't ship him over to Korea because they wanted him making maps in New York City. That's how he met my mom, but it was in New York. But he was he was he was doing maps in New York City. Yeah, and once, and, and I and I had heard about you know I, war is hell no matter what war. Yeah, it, that was. But I heard that there. one was just. I mean, the more I the more I see and the more of mm-hmm. these documentaries I see on Korea, you're talking about cold. Bad. And wet and horrible. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. awful. Uh, so it was. It was. I know you said you had a, a kind of a complicated uh, relationship with dad, but I know you had some good moments as well. Um, I had some okay. Mo- I never had really great moments. My my dad when I my dad showed up more when I got to college. When I got to being yeah. good at stuff, he was kind of there. I never had a let's go for a catch. Now, okay, I, I always wanted to play golf with my dad. I never. I didn't play golf until later on in life, but he played golf from the day I. From the day I can remember, he had his group of buddies that played golf. And, and he played lived, golf. And in North Carolina, in Greensboro, I always I wanted to, can I use your clubs and hit? It was always. I'm going to bet he probably had to play at Gillespie Park. He played at Gillespie Park. He had to play Park. the segregated course. And I was shag, and I was yeah. shag guy. Yeah. I learned how to play baseball from being the guy yeah. with the glove, shagging my dad's, go- having, a, having a bag yeah. there, and he having 100 balls. And he'd hit them, and I'd fly and catch the balls, put them in the bag. I was the shag guy. I never got a chance until later in life to play golf with my dad. He okay. never let me play. So, all right, so let me ask, put it to you this way. My question was going to be to ask folks for one memory that's a, a, a great memory of their dad, whether their dad is still with them or has passed. And my father passed away in January of 92. One memory that stands out as a great memory. Oh, my great memory is my dad, well, well there was a – when my old man was around, there was a once a month, our family would get in the station wagon with the paneling on the yeah, side, yeah, yeah, and the seat that went back the other way, and we'd sure. be in the back, and he would take us to Burger King. There you go. We get the I get the Whopper, yeah. fries, and a shake. The one on Battleground Avenue there in Greensboro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Still there, by the way. I got to do. We got to do. That was a deal. Once a month, we were going to get a chance to do that. Yeah. That was going out at that time, and remember that was the time when. When fast food, they promised you they'd have your your meal in sixty minutes at the drive-through. Sixty no, sixty seconds. 60 it was seconds. a sixty-second deal. We would have it to you through the drive-through. Yeah. And I was like, "There's no way you're going to have this food there in sixty seconds." You'd order it. Right. You'd come up there and, and roll within six it. Seconds, it was through. It was there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, was a that great was, memory a when you were a kid. Memory. Your dad taking you in the station wagon up to Burger oh, King. They're on Battleground shape, Avenue in Greensboro. Battleground. See? I used to go to Battleground all the time, as a matter yeah. of fact. Guilford Battleground, for folks who don't know, where the, where the Battle of Guilford Courthouse was fought on March 15, 1781. And I was which... sitting on the Confederate statues. I'd be up there <laughs> on those big life-like Well, statues. and it was a Revolutionary War statue, right. uh, Revolutionary War battlefield, but they did bury some Confederates there later. Yep. But, the, but uh, the Battle of Guilford Courthouse, for folks who don't know, was a quote-unquote tactical win for the British but Cornwallis took such heavy losses, they retreated for a few months down, and then their next stop was Yorktown, where it all ended, where George Washington Absolutely. needed. So they said it set it set it in motion. The final chapters of the Revolutionary War was the Battle of Guilford Courthouse, where the young commander, who was a George Washington protege, Nathaniel Green, for whom Greensboro is named. I love Greensboro. I never wanted to leave Greensboro. I played for it's five, a good place to grow up. Played for Fire was. Station Number Four there on Bimbo Road. Yeah, and one of my. One of my teammates was uh, Vince Evans, yeah. who went on to play. Uh, he was the quarterback at USC. 
Was that Ben L. Smith High School? Ben L. Smith, yes. Which is where my sister, well, we all would have gone to Smith had we still lived in Hillsdale Park. We moved out to Sedgefield Lakes, and I went to Ragsdale afterwards. But, yeah. but okay, all right. So I appreciate you coming by. I wanted Thank to, I, but I knew, I knew there had to be at least one really good memory, even in a complicated relationship with your dad. There had to be at least one really cool memory. That was memory. a fa- family gathering. That's when we all, yeah. remember, I was one of eight kids, but at yeah. that time I was one of five, I believe, in a two-bedroom house. <laughs> up on Benbow Road, and there was five kids, and it was two bedrooms. It was it was quite the gathering. And you'd make that run out to Burger King. Make that run to Burger King once <laughs> once a month. The old man took us. Thanks, Buck. Thank you, guys. Thank All you right. for having me. Yeah, you bet. All right, See we'll, you, Buck. we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll have a longer notebook for this hour. Have we'll a good continue. Father's Day, Craig. You too. This is Light the Tower on the Horn. Like the Tower with Craig Webb and Jeff Howe. Thanks again to Bucky Godball joining us here on the program. So um, that was the question for the Specs text line. And uh, that's why I asked Bucky about that, about the memory of the family piling into the station. We had a uh, station wagon as well as a kid. It was a Rambler wagon. Uh, and uh, But Bucky talked about going up here on Battleground Avenue to the uh, Burger King there. That was the only, for a while, that was the only Burger King when I was a little kid in Greensboro. Um and then, and then, uh, and then they built one uh, on High Point Road near where I grew up. But um, anyway, that was the question for the Specs text line. If you've got a, if you've got a, a memory that stands, it doesn't have to be the only memory. It doesn't even necessarily have to be the greatest memory. But if you have a great memory of something you did or still do with with your dad, that's pretty cool. If you if st- if you still have your dad. And 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 or your mom. That's that's great. I lost my mom last November. It was the last of my parents. My my father passed away uh, in uh, January '92. But there were um, great memories. I had I had uh, several ones, but I'll I'll share those as we go go on. But to the specs text line, for example, here's one. My dad was a football coach. He would throw batting practice to me on the field without an L screen. That's the thing where you're where the coach is protected the person pitching the batting practice the l screen the l part in the gap of the l is where the arm comes through where the ball comes out but otherwise they're behind the screen so that they won't get hit by a line drive and this texter says he would throw batting practice to me on the field without an l screen and we were at round rock high and he was throwing without an l screen i smoked one right back up the middle nailed him in the back with no shirt on he rolled around on the dusty mound, then got up, uh, not dusting himself off, and said, get back in there. We laugh about that now a lot. That's a great memory. That's what I'm talking about. If you have a, if you have a, a, a great memory 
Uh, another one saying, uh, always waking up on Saturdays and going to work with my dad, watching the Longhorns. Now I barely talk to him. We'll always love him. Well, hopefully he can uh, repair that. Uh, so growing up as a kid in Colorado, my dad taking me to one Denver Broncos game a year at Old Mile High Stadium. Um, our friend Victor says a sad and a great story at the same time. My dad passed when I was a sophomore in high school my freshman year. We went to watch my brother play football against Brazoswood. It was Reagan against Brazoswood. My brother played really well, but my dad said to me after the end of the game, you can be much better than him, and you will be, and I can't wait to see you. Never did get to see me because he passed the next year, but I'll remember that as long as I live. Exactly. That's, that's cool. Somebody said my dad and I went to the last Astros game in the Astrodome and which they clinched the division. Uh, somebody else said, uh, same day in 1975, my dad took me fishing for the first time and my first pocket knife. I still have the scar on my thumb from the, from, uh, the knife. Our man CB, who, by the way, posted that photo of Priest Holmes uh, flying through with the Franklin Mountains in the background, flying toward the end zone with John Elmore on his back looking up there against North Carolina. Great photo of him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He also mentioned 94 was also the season. Tony Brackett hit John McAvick during the Colorado game. Yeah, or the late Rashawn Salami at 317 yards that, that day. Uh, he said, we had a yellow station wagon when we lived in Germany in the 80s. Ended up wrecking it on the way to a water park. Uh, it, it, that kind of thing. Um, so um, uh, Duke says my dad passed away in 1975 at the age of 55. My fondest memory was sitting in his lap singing American folk songs with my mom and two older sisters, circa 59 at the age of five. Um, uh, somebody, it's the very first time I played catch with my dad. Like the second or third throw, my dad pegged me in the stomach, knocked the wind out of me, <laughs> core memory rolling around, <laughs> try, trying to catch my breath. Uh, somebody, my 82-year-old dad was the best tile setter in Austin during the 80s and still would toss football with me after a hard day's work. Blessed to still have him and make the best tortillas in Georgetown. Wow, that's good to hear. Captain Caveman, waking up every Saturday to collect cans to go sell with my dad. It was work, but always ended up with a cook uh, with a Coke and a Porfirio's taco. Uh, missed the old guy. And uh, I like Ike says my dad was in the film industry as a key grip. I went to work with him when he did a Justin Boots commercial with Nolan Ryan, the best 12-hour Work day ever. So that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Bizarre Dale Dudley says, uh, um, favorite memory had to be my dad and grandfather hunting turkeys every year for Thanksgiving at the Deer Lease, my fondest memory. So that's what I'm saying. If you've got a great memory on that, I'd love to, love to hit it for you on this Father's Day week. And I'll share mine later uh, coming up, and we'll get cams as well. Right now, it is time for our Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook. And uh, this Longhorn uh, the baseball team, of course, the, the, the season has ended for them. Uh, the latest update, you've heard uh, that Mitchell Daly has entered the transfer portal. And uh, he's three years with Texas, largely as a starter at shortstop, had lost his starting job at, at a point during the year, and then later in the year uh, contributed again, had a big home run in Miami against Louisiana, had another home run in the Super Regional against Stanford. But he has entered the transfer portal uh, for Texas and um, he's gone into it. DJ Burke has gone into it. Uh, I know also through the roster management thing that the coaching staff has also uh, dialed back into uh, seeing who else is available there in the portal because this is portal season now. So it gets pretty pretty active from there. So uh, there you go. That's our uh, Longhorn Notebook for the day. The Or for the first hour. We have another one coming up next hour. Um, 
the the uh, feedback, by the way, uh, continues to roll in. Yesterday, of course, we visited uh, with uh, Andrew Monaco, play-by-play voice of the San Antonio. Uh, no, he used to be the courtside reporter for the Spurs. Bill Schoening's the play-by-play voice of the San Antonio Spurs. Andrew Monaco is the play-by-play voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. Andrew joined us yesterday to talk about the uh, you know the excitement over in College Station about that SEC opponent schedule releases, the way I phrase it, because we it's not a true schedule in that we haven't seen every date on it. We don't know when these games will be played for 2024, these conference games, uh, but we do know where they will be played. And uh, he was sharing the excitement that's going over there, and Aggie fans were uh, pretty fired up about the fact that when the rivalry resumes between Texas and Texas A&M, that the game will be played in College Station uh, off of that. Um, Christo Conte had said that it wasn't really that big a deal to him whether the game was in College Station or Austin. Uh, the main thing, and when it would be played, whether it was Thanksgiving weekend or another weekend, the main thing was that the rivalry was resumed. And and it will be as well as the rivalry ongoing with Oklahoma and maintained. And that it's a pretty safe bet that's going to be second Saturday in October uh, as it invariably is. I mean, I can only remember once or twice where it was the first Saturday and it was right toward the end of the, on the numbers on the calendar day, like the sixth or seventh, that it just, the way the calendar worked that year, it wound up being the first Saturday instead of the second. But it was still like the fourth game of the year. It was right in that same wheelhouse of that. So uh, that was that was the uh, situation uh, uh, with with that. And, and, and folks are very, very excited about it. And obviously, um, Folks are excited about it, Longhorn fans about the Florida Georgia games, uh, the Florida game and the Georgia game, both being in Austin, uh, along with Mississippi State and Kentucky, and the other road games, uh, Arkansas, in addition to AM. The Oklahoma game next year will count as a road game in that Texas is the designated road team. On the odd number of years, Texas is the designated uh, home team, and they'll be the visiting team, the road team, on the even number of years. So that's why. Uh, in 2024, it will count as one of the road games. Somebody had uh, tweeted at me and asked if it was going to be like that with only three true road conference games every year. And the answer to that is no, it will not be that way every year because it's it's mainly based on that Oklahoma flip. That's a lot of it that, that has to do with it. But you'll see, I think you'll see going forward in 2025, there will be probably four true road games for Texas, plus the Oklahoma game where Texas will be the designated home team. So there would be, in in actuality, five full games uh, uh, that are away from DKR Texas Memorial Stadium, five full games away from Austin, uh, but one of them they would be the designated uh, home team for the game against Oklahoma. Uh, again, to the Specs text line, 337-3776, 512-337-3776. This is, after all, Father's Day weekend. So my question is, do you have a, if, a favorite memory or at least a really good memory uh, that you want to share about your dad? It can involve a game. It can involve an activity. It can involve just whatever. What What would it be? For example, somebody said, my favorite memory with my dad was when we were coming back from the Gulf War and he met our ship, the USS Ranger in Hawaii, 
and rode back to San Diego with us. Got to see what I did in the Navy. Still talks about it to this day over 30 years. That's fabulous. I didn't know you could do that. That your dad could ride back with you on the ship in the Navy. I did not know that. Somebody else, my favorite, one of my favorite memories with my dad was walking into Dodger Stadium while we were vacationing in California. It was my first visit to an MLB stadium. I was five years old. My dad would always take me with him to every Temple Wildcat football game since I could walk. See, that's cool. My memory is going to be about a Major League Baseball game as well. I'll get to it a, a little later on. Uh, off of that. And uh, uh, Gene Watson, of course, uh, who's going to join us next hour to talk Major League Baseball, his has to do, obviously, you might imagine, with a baseball game. Here's somebody some Dad would take me out of school uh, once every spring, and we'd spend the day at the dish. That's really cool. When I was younger, my dad would take us to Astros games in the Astrodome, even though he probably wasn't able to comprehend. I'm glad the Astros won the World Series before he passed. Uh, somebody that's a drinking black Russians together from age 12 and pond hockey in Wisconsin. My friend, that is hardcore. <laughs> drinking black Russians together from age 12 and pond hockey in Wisconsin. Wow. Impressive. Uh, my Father's Day memories when I was a junior in high school, he picked me up early from school. Next thing I knew, I was being dropped off at a Houston Astros tryout. I officially tried out for the team. Needless to say, I never made the team. But still, just the fact that he gave you the opportunity. Uh, CB had talked about some of his memories. He said, I think uh, I have a lot of favorite memories. I always remember barbecuing with him in Germany and used to barbecue in the snow. Every time we barbecue up here, I think I've been smoking a brisket for Father's Day over the weekend. Very good. Uh, Favorite memory with my dad. First ever Cub Scout camp. We went canoeing first time he stepped on the wrong side of the canoe and flipped us over in front of the entire pack. We all laughed so hard. See, that's a great dad memory. Your dad would have something like that to do that. So he said being awakened when it was still dark, went to see his fisherman buds before they left in the morning, seeing him at the airport after getting back from a 15-month tour in Iraq in 2003. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about as well. I have many great memories of my pots, but most important, when he shared his memory, of rescuing the USS Indianapolis. If you do not know that story, you need to read about that story. He was a member of the PBY that landed in the open sea, the first rescuers to arrive. That day caused him tremendous pain, as beside the lives they saved, the death and massacre of so many by the sharks. He only told it once, and he only shared it with me, his only son, that also served. That's... uh, they say 1,100 went into the water and 300 came out when the USS Indianapolis went down and they did a big circle in the ocean holding on to one another and it was just a lottery on whether a shark selected you or not. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a chilling story on that. Uh, my dad rode back from Hawaii with me too when I was in the Navy. It's called a Tiger Cruise. I'm glad to know that. I didn't know that. A great time. I'm glad to hear it. That's really cool. I'm I'm glad to hear that. A Tiger Cruise. I will remember it now. Somebody said, so my, my father didn't like sports, took me to a Tulsa Roughnecks North American Soccer League game at Skelly Stadium in 1980. That's cool. Uh, my fondest memory was my stepdad going to an Astros game one summer day back in the days of Jose Cruz. Chao. Um, so, uh, 
Somebody asked, hey, guys, is the basketball team full or are there, are there still players they're looking at through the portal been quiet lately uh, after after getting the word that that uh, Dylan Mitchell, like a week ago, is coming back and, and um, Tyrese Hunter coming back and what, they, the, what they've done already in the portal. I think they still have a spot uh, that they might look at in the portal as well, but it's not done yet. The next deadline is to withdraw because there's a second deadline to withdraw from the draft, right? Right, exactly. Uh, Again, somebody else mentioned the Tiger Tour co-worker got to take a carrier back from Honolulu to the States. I'm so glad to hear that. I mentioned about the Indianapolis. They tell that story in the Jaws movie. Yeah, Robert Shaw talked about it uh, in the movie. He he talked about being in the water with the other guys uh, and 1,100 going in and 300 coming out or what else. Uh, One more before we get to the break. Uh, so I said, my dad got me into the Cub Scouts and we go on some of the bigger camping trips. One year we were fishing in Lake Bastrop at Lost Pines at the Boy Scout camp. And a bunch of my buddies were perch popping. That's where you basically sit there with a cane pole and just catch perch. And we started talking bleep to my dad about how many fish we were catching and he wasn't catching any. Then he landed a 15 pound carp at that point said to be the lake record. Then he turned to me and all of my friends and said, well, looks like I have more poundage than y'all have. <laughs> Great memory. Past 25 years ago was my best friend throughout my childhood. And see, that's what I'm talking about. Those kind of memories. So uh, if you got a memory, a great memory of, of time spent with your dad or an episode or a moment, uh, share it. We're, uh, I'm, I'm going to get Cam's next hour, and I'm going to uh, spend my uh, share my next hour. And we'll hear also from Gene Watson. Up next, uh, we do have... Uh, Inconceivable coming up here on this uh, Friday. It is Friday on Inconceivable. What does that mean, Kim? Flaccid. Yeah, about grabbing the low-hanging fruit there from the uh, most flaccid of the lower 48. We only have one Florida story, and it's less about a Florida man and more about a Florida creature. Mm. But we have some other stories we're going to get to as well when we continue to light the tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019. AM 1260. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. You know, well, when we get to Fridays, we talk about it being a Florida Friday, and we usually have uh, two or three really bizarre Florida man stories. We don't really have a Florida man story, per se. It's a Florida creature story, and we'll get that out of the way because we got some other things to get to on this. Um, Cam, when we think of Florida, we think of, you know, whatever, and we mentioned, you know, Florida, uh, Florida alligators and that sort of thing, but, uh, or we think of Florida, but we think of alligators a lot, right? Yeah, we have a lot of stories. Yeah. Alligators. yeah. Well, um, it looked like, it looked like that. Wildlife officials were fishing out an alligator. What an alligator. Oh, boy. Uh, officials say they received a call from a homeowner in Plantation Key around 2 o'clock in the morning the other day. Massive creature floating and spotted in their below-ground pool, in their swimming pool. So video for- footage recorded during the capture shows a group of trappers from an organization called Pesky Critters Animal Control. Would you like to work for a group like that? I would pass, but there's some <laughs> great stories, right? Yeah. 
uh, they used a spool of rope, and it starts thrashing around. They realize it's not an alligator. It was a crocodile, a full-on, huge, massive crocodile. Uh, He measured more than 10 feet in length. He came out of the pool thrashing. They had a hard time there. And they said, we have a, the uh, trapper said, we now have a slippery pool deck here. They, they were able to secure the crocodile with help from an assistant trapper. The pair heaved him on the pool deck and then restrained it before they dragged it all in the backyard patio. Ultimately, they moved him to another location near open water, removed the restraints, and released it back into the wild. American crocodiles are one of two, just two, crocodile species in the United States. And they're only found in South Florida, different from the more common alligator, which, of course, lives in the various habitats throughout the southeastern U.S. These crocodiles are protected as a threatened animal species under the Federal Endangered Species Act. And they're more dangerous, correct, than the regular gator? Far more. Yeah. They're, they're distinguished from an alligator based on a handful of defining physical features. They have a lizard-like shape, a long muscular tail, four relatively short legs, which have five toes on the front feet, four toes on the back feet, according to the profile on the website. The snout is triangular and a single tooth visible on each side of its lower jaw, even when the mouth is closed. They can reach about 20 feet in length. But wildlife mm. officials say they usually don't grow longer than about 14 feet in the wild. Female crocs are smaller, range from about 8 to 12 feet in length. Huge crocodile, uh, not an alligator, a crocodile that was uh, rescued from there. Okay, that was our Florida story. But there are other stories as well. Um, first of all, um, our thoughts, hopes, and prayers uh and best wishes go to the folks in Perryton, way, way up at the top of the Texas Panhandle. I don't know if you've ever seen or been through Perryton. It's Mm-mm. far north of Amarillo, right by the state line. Devastating tornado went through oh, there man. yesterday. Uh, at least three people killed. Wow. Uh, at least 56 injured, uh, according to the sheriff's office up there. Uh, the fire chief said number of injured may be closer to 100 Injuries range from minor to severe and multiple patients transferred to trauma centers. The, the town was flattened there. So we hope for the best uh, for uh, Perryton. Um, a couple of uh, fast food notes for you. Uh, one, uh, you asked me if I'd tried the Grimace Shake. Mm-hmm. I haven't yet. Okay. And I may have difficulty trying to when the time comes around, the Grimace Birthday Shake. They're having a hard time keeping them in stock. Wow. They've been selling out. Of course, you know, we know when McDonald's releasing a new milkshake, there could always be potential issues uh, like, you know, the ice cream machines always seem to be broken all the time and that sort of thing. But even if the ice cream machines are working, they're saying, customers are still having a hard time getting their hands on this new berry-flavored milkshake. It's the vanilla soft serve, and it's got berry flavoring in it, and it's, and it's gotten really, really popular reviews. Uh, they said you can't order the Grimace Shake separately from the meal on the McDonald's app, somebody said, uh, that seems to be a problem a lot of McDonald's customers are having. They can't try the shake without ordering the entire Grimace birthday meal, which includes either Big Mac or Tim McNuggets and the medium fries. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I might yeah, do that. Yeah, I didn't get I mean, it with the meal on that. If I have to get a Big Mac, I guess I will. Yeah. It says it is true that the Grimace birthday shake cannot be ordered on its own in the app. Of course, you can do it in the store. 
McDonald's claims it can be ordered separately at the actual restaurant, but there are conflicting stories about whether that's true uh, with all that. But most folks say they can't order it uh, on the app by itself. You have to get the shake. Uh, you have to get the meal if you're going to do that. Now, bigger problems, uh, and it's this is not necessarily with McDonald's is as much about the former McDonald's in Russia. Because remember, McDonald's and uh, Starbucks both closed down operations in Russia after the war started yeah. um, with Ukraine. So Russian government swooped in afterwards and sold off these these spaces and buildings as franchises of other businesses. So they've done this. And where the McDonald's used to be, there's now burger places. And where the Mc, where the Starbucks used to be is now a coffee place called, and look at this picture. It's, you know, it was Starbucks where you have the iconic green and black Starbucks logo with the mermaid mm-hmm. uh, type yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, Russia got away with that. They just went to Star's <laughs> Coffee with, with a lady in the deal. It's like the, the deal in the... Uh, I have the McDonald's and I have this understanding. McDonald's in coming to America. Yeah. They have the Big Mac. I have the Big Mick. So it's a Star's Coffee. Also, the hamburgers now. Uh, How is that legal? Well, it is in Russia, I guess. I don't know. So they open burger places and... Burger place. <laughs> the, the burger place. The, the McDonald's is renamed Vakusno and Tochka, which translates to... Tasty and that's it. <laughs> that's the name of the burger place. Tasty and that's it. Apparently, it's not that tasty. Uh, folks say the biggest problem they have is in their replacement for the Big Mac, they can't seem to replicate the special sauce. Mm. I mean, it's like thousand eyes dressing. Pretty much, right? <laughs> they say uh, folks who are trying in Russians, a record number of Russians have tried the new burgers. And they didn't like them at all. Uh, one uh, a student named Vladimir said, "Quote the sauce, which was the Big Mac's main quality, has become a little more sweet and sour. It's not like the special sauce." So they're still trying to work that out uh, in uh, in McDonald's. Also, you should know this: Seven uh, Eleven. Were you a fan of the Slurpee? Yeah. Yeah. When's the last time you had a Slurpee? Oh, it's gosh, it's probably been years. Yeah. My uh, my late wife used to have a habit of when she picked my kids up from school, she'd pick up our kids every Friday. Fridays was Slurpee Day. There's a 7-Eleven just like less than a mile away from the school, and she would take them for Slurpees on Friday. Well, now the Slurpee's about to look a lot different. Now, what they're doing is it's hmm. mainly the cup that's going to look different. And so, you know, because you still get with the Slurpees, the clear cup and yeah. you fill it all up. Now it's going to be like rainbow colored and with a with a logo that's supposed to represent the swirly top of a Slurpee there. Uh, so, see, it, I like the clear, the clear because you can you you see can what put you got ton. in it. Yeah, you can put a you can you, dump that. Thing, you can right? you can really that's, you a, can, that's a lot smaller. Yeah. So, well, I think that's just the small just variety. The small Hopefully, they'll be okay. one day. Yeah. All right. There's your inconceivable. All right. Coming up. Uh, here, uh, Gene Watson, our longtime MLB insider and a man who knows the scouting game, is going to join us here. Cooter on the Specs text line says, maybe the new Tasty and That's It burger place 
isn't using Thousand Island on the Big Macs. Yeah, could be. Could be something else. The Golden Arcs, yep. Uh, in Mexico City, there's a coffee store called Star Ducks, where everything is duck-themed, says a texter. So, mm. yeah. So there you go. John in the bases with the Sheriff's Rodeo happening next week up in Gerald. Anyway, we can start a petition to have Jeff as the Grand Marshal. I think yes. that'd be great. That'd be incredible. Of course, I'm sure after all the nice things he said about him, they want to make him a rodeo clown. All right. Also, we'll take uh, continued your your memories. Uh, a great memory you have with your dad. It is, after all, Father's Day weekend. It'll be Father's Day on Sunday. What's a great memory you had of your dad? I'll get Cam to share his. I'll share mine. Gene Watson will share his. We'll talk some baseball. That's coming up next hour here on Light the Tower.